0: Side of the Red Line, Dallas Stars podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro.
1: Unfortunately, we kind of have to start today with a bit of a somber note, um, because on Sunday, the uh, got the news and uh, that Dave Strader, the Stars play-by-play broadcaster, passed away after a battle with cancer. Um, and it was. Uh, It was kind of a rough news because it was one of those things with uh, with Dave and I wrote a little bit about this on Sunday. Where while Dave had been going through some tough times, he was always one of those the most positive guys. Uh, You could every time uh, every time you talked to him when he was fighting it, he was always upbeat. You could even tell, and it was. and I led a story with this about how something that was as odd as it sounds because of Twitter, you knew he was always, even when he was sick and he was fighting this disease that he was, um, that he was, he was retweeting the lines we would see at practice. He would, was retweeting the things of someone practiced with a, with an injured ankle or whatever. And it was one of those where for even up until a couple days before he passed away, Dave was, always a hockey broadcaster and would have been ready to call a game at a moment's notice if he was just healthy enough to do it. So, um, so just to start off today, just quick thoughts and, and that invest and best thoughts with him and his family. And, uh, just someone who I didn't know super well. Um, I know other people knew him much better, but just a guy who has, uh, it's, I think it's amazing. I think it's interesting. You think about how much of an impact he had on the Stars community, and he was really only the broadcaster for one full season, just time with, with how he how he came in um, with for one season, and then with how he missed most of last season due to illness, but so just thoughts with his family, and it's uh, kind of a bit of a somber tone to start this week, unfortunately. Right, and
0: I mean, you kind of touched on your experience with it. I obviously have never had the privilege of meeting Dave, but um, just seeing through Twitter the thoughts sent out by not only people within the Stars organization, but throughout hockey teams that David worked with in the past, people that he had interacted with in the past, he just seemed like that type of person that, and obviously it speaks volumes that just kind of that people are you know, it wasn't one of those things where he seemed, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. It's been a very, my brain doesn't work anymore, but it was just, it was touching to see that to have people share their memories of Dave. And it was, I'm, I'm sure comforting for his family to see that he had touched so many people in such a positive way throughout his career. And it was, it was definitely, it, it kind of puts life in perspective for you to know that no matter what you're going through, if someone like dave can go through something as terrible as cancer and still be as upbeat and as positive as he was then there's no reason that you can't be upbeat and positive in life as well
1: i think that's a really good thing to take out of all of this um i mean i I think back to last season and we talked about quite a bit last season about how much of a down season the stars had last season but really him calling those five games really were the highlight of the season and uh just from even if, even if the team had played poorly when he called the games but just the combination of in a down year uh, his first game back they uh Antoine Roussel has the hat trick Jamie Benn scores in overtime the team salutes him. just one of those moments that it was special for me to have covered it because it's something I'll always remember um so as we said thoughts and and everyone has there's lots of people you could just see I mean I've seen all the comments on the uh, when the Stars posted the news that he had passed just seeing all those comments just could tell you everything about who he was so um i'm sure it'll be a i'm sure the stars have something planned for before the game on friday against vegas um i'm sure there'll be a moment of silence i'm sure they'll do something on the broadcast and really uh and dave's certainly deserving of that
0: yeah agreed
1: so um let's uh well let's uh Let's let's talk about we've we've got we actually have a game we actually have a real game on Friday and the uh, and the season starts Friday night against Vegas the full NHL season starts tomorrow Pittsburgh raises their banner I believe from the first night of this first game of the season tomorrow night on Wednesday um and stars open on on uh, stars open on Friday on Ve- against Vegas uh, the first game for the Golden Knights in franchise history there it's uh. We also have a bit of news to talk about. Just uh, we're going to get into the full nitty gritty preview in a minute, but just we actually have a bit of news that came out today because today NHL teams had to submit their final roster by five Eastern um, to be their their cap compliant roster for opening night. And on the Dallas perspective, to get down to that number, to get down to twenty three, they needed to waive two players, and they waived Curtis McKenzie, who uh, who cleared and got sent to the AHL. Um, and we'll play. We'll start the season with the Texas Stars and Patrick Nemeth, who didn't clear and was claimed by the Colorado Avalanche. Of uh, and also we also, we will talk more about Julius Honka in a minute. But also Jamel Smith made the final roster of those moves. Ryan, what stood out to you most of the over the last forty-eight hours? That stands out to you from between the guys who were waived and weren't waived and, and things along those lines. Huh.
0: Well, I guess. I'll start with Nemeth because I feel like that's most pressing, not most pressing, but it, it, it it's obviously the, well, I can't even, I can't even call it the most noteworthy, but I don't want to go all hothead on the eight defenseman thing again to start off with. And you touched on it on Twitter. I know Heike touched on it on Twitter. I think I saw a couple other people touch on it too, but I'm, happy for Patrick Nemeth because this is a guy who, I, I mean, it kind of, how it all kind of just started transpiring. It happened with a freak accident where he had a tendon in his wrist cut with a skate and it just kind of cascaded into a series of events where he missed a bunch of time with injury. And then he kind of became a casualty of other defensemen coming up through the system while he was out. And he kind of got passed over, and then he just never really got a fair shake to get back in the lineup. And then, obviously, with the eight defenseman last year, that was absolutely and completely bungled, and it had been bungled for most of the last two years. So his career, I'm I'm happy for him that he's going to go into a situation in Colorado where one, there's going to be no pressure on him because they're going to be god awful this year. So he doesn't have, if he goes there and he doesn't play well, you know, whatever. They're tanking for Rasmus Dahlin, so it's not like it's any skin off their ass. But I'm glad for him that he's going to go to a situation where he's going to get to play every night, and hopefully revitalize his career because I think we kind of we talked about this God for it feels like almost a full year now, but that was never going to happen in Dallas, regardless of I, he can, I mean he can go out and be a great player this year, and it, I, I'm still not going to sit here and say the Stars screwed up by trying to send him through waivers because that's exactly what they should have done. You weren't going to get anything from him in the trade market, and you I, you can sit here as a fan and say, well, you know. You can, there are teams out there like Colorado and Washington that needed a defenseman. Why wouldn't they try to trade for him? Because they knew this was going to happen. They doubt Jim hand was, hands were tied. He had to get, he had to get down to a certain thing. He wasn't going to keep nine defensemen and 12 forwards on this team because that would just be absolutely asinine. And I mean, you couldn't make the joke that I wouldn't put it past him, but blah, 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 whatever. I'm, I'm starting to get diary of the mouth now, but it was, it was just, it was a long time coming. We kind of figured, when we started doing these semi regularly again, that he was going to be waived because there wasn't going to be much of a market for him. And it doesn't surprise me that he got claimed. Um, as for, I don't really I don't have any.
1: Well, real quick, I'm um, just stick with Nemeth real quick. Um, just one point I want to say um, this is an example of where waivers worked. Um, for and and by and this is what waivers was in place for. So if if you're just I know if, as a fan it, it's people look at it. and It sucks to lose a player and stuff like that. But waivers are in place, so players can stay in the NHL and not be judged completely by one team. And that's where and this and this is an example where waivers worked because if if this if waivers didn't exist there would be a situation where Nemeth could have been buried and where a team can bury could bury a player in the AHL and not have to do anything to keep a player in the NHL. So this was an example where the waiver system is in place and it worked. So that's just what I wanted to add real quick about Nemeth because it's something well it's from a Stars fan standpoint it, it's unfortunate he never panned out the way that you would have liked to see it happen in Dallas but he, he remained an NHL player because of the waiver system, and it worked today. Um, and it, good for him. He's a guy who, he's going to go there, and right off the start, he's going to get a good opportunity. They've already said he's going to, they're already talking about him playing with Tyson Berry. So good for him. And you know what, I hope uh, for the player, and he's a good guy, I hope I hope he does great in Colorado.
0: I do too. He seems, I mean, he seems like a nice guy, and I, I truly don't think he ever really ended up getting a fair shake in Dallas. And I mean, that. Really doesn't end up being anyone's fault because it, it was just a confluence of events that transpired in just the right way. And he kind of, and I think someone asked, I think it was Rob Tiffin asked the question that was there ever a point in time that he that Dallas could have traded him and gotten some sort of return. And I really don't think that there was because he never really got we never never really got to the point that. After he came back from the injury where he was consistently seeing playing time. So there was never really much. There's never really been a consistent sample to judge him off of since then. So it's, it, it's just one of those things that it sucks to lose a guy for nothing, but in, in this case, it's probably for the best for everyone involved. We talked last week about the log jam at defenseman that they're going to have in Austin this year. So that kind of helps clear that up a little bit. Um, moving. Forward a little bit. I don't really have much of an opinion on Jamel Smith versus Curtis McKenzie. It's, you know, it is what it is. They're similar players. I like Curtis McKenzie as a player. I think he could be a very productive bottom six, bottom three NHL guy. Um, but it sounding like that's for the 13th forward anyway. So I'm not really going to lose any sleep over that battle. Uh, as much as I want to hate the eight, def- I, I do hate the eight defensemen. I, I truly with, there are a few things in life I hate more than the stars carrying eight defensemen. But if I were to make a list of the top five things I hate most in life, that would probably be somewhere around three or four. Um, but the logic that I'm kind of hearing behind it, I don't disagree with that. You know, you're not good. Like Julie, the, the things they want Julie Sanka to work on, he can't work on in the AHL because he's too good for that. So I'm willing to let it roll for that first three, four weeks of the season to see if they actually do let him get in the lineup and then maybe make a move to send someone out so he's a guy who plays every night. But where I'm going to sour on this is if this becomes a thing where he's sitting in the press box every night and we're sitting here around Christmas time and he's played a half dozen NHL games. Then I'm not going to like it because now we're going through this cycle again where you're just wasting players. So I'm, I, I, if we're, if we're giving a report card grade for this, I would give it an incomplete right now because I am willing to give it a chance to see if it plays out like I think they're hoping it plays out. But I'm very, very skeptical on it because this organization has shown, has literally no track record of showing that it's capable of handling this the right way.
1: And that's the, yeah, that's the important thing to, that you pointed out there. Um, how does this Honka experiment look in December? Just to backtrack real quick, just for everyone who's listening who doesn't know what the plan is, essentially the plan with Julius Honka is Honka is not in their top six defenders. Now, while it would make sense to send him down to play in the AHL because they can, he's waiver exempt. They're not going to do that because it's makes he his development and him taking the next step to be that to be that reliable every night NHL player. He's going to be able to do more of that by working and practicing, being around the NHL team, watching the NHL game closely, and working closely with Rick Wilson. Just basically doing, just learning the game. And, and, and getting over those defensive things, and, and that's the plan, and I don't have a problem with that plan to start. I think it's actually, I actually, I've written myself, and my, in my own opinion, I've seen that it's, I don't think, there's nothing left that Julius Honka can do in the AHL. There's nothing else he can do down there, and it's not, uh, and this isn't an indictment on the coaching staff down there, it's just a fact of life. They only have two coaches the AHL coaching staff is two people. It's not like the AHL coaches can spend their entire time working to make Julius Hanka better or spending time to do that when they have 25 other prospects or players to deal with down there. It's just, it's just not a reality. Um, so I don't have a problem with this. Now, the key is making sure Hanka actually gets those gets in those games. And like I was looking at it on the calendar, say you do this for four or five games, and then you put him in on maybe... October 14th against Colorado or October 17th against Arizona, just you need to start getting them into games sooner than later, so you can see if you' are if it's actually working because otherwise because other, otherwise it's a wasted experiment because it's you, you can't just have them sit there and just do this in practice and then not ever apply it to a game. So you need to start getting them to games sooner than later. The other key for it to work too is that if Honka comes in and is truly one of your top six, like, I think you need to make I think you need to make a decision on Hanka by Thanksgiving. That's what this coaching staff needs to do. They need to by the end by Thanksgiving, they need to make a decision on whether he's going to play every night or he's not. While I don't think there's anything else he can do in the AHL, it's better for him to play in the AHL and be the next call up and be sent down there at Thanksgiving if he's not going to break this top six. If 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 Hitch if Hitch decides, you know what, I like my six, Honka, you're doing well, but you're not gonna Stephen Johns, Jamie Alexiak, and John—you're you're, not—you're not breaking in. I'm sorry. Then, then you send him down. But the, I think you basically have until Thanksgiving to make that decision because I truly think, I think by Thanksgiving, if things play out how I would imagine, Julius Honka is one of your top is an everyday defenseman by Thanksgiving if it plays out how I think it should in my mind. But we have to see what happens.
0: No, I completely and totally agree with that. Um, I know. I mean, we've talked about this a lot with guys like. Gurionov and Dickinson and Rubey hints that it's better for them to be playing top-line minutes in the AHL than kind of scrubbing it up on the bottom pair or as the extra guy in Dallas. And for those guys who aren't basically NHL-ready, that's the case. But for Honka, it's one of those things that in the NHL, you I mean, you're having your guys, your scratches skate before and after practice, so it's going to give them uh, plenty of time to get extra work to work on the defensive side of things, which he can't necessarily do in the AHL, but <clears throat> it does, like you said, it gets to that point where it's now, if it's Thanksgiving and he's played less than 10 games and it's like, okay, well, what are we actually doing here? And it, if they play it right, it can work well. So if, if we're using that Thanksgiving kind of as a benchmark to kind of figure things out, then it gives you, you know, a month and a half to further evaluate the guys you have on defense. Maybe, Improve the trade value for a guy like Jamie Alexiak if you don't think he has a long term future in the organization, or hell, who knows? Maybe Jamie Alexiak truly has his game figured out and he's looking like a top four defenseman by then. And then you're like, okay, well let's trade like Dan Haney's because him and Alexiak are basically the same player, and Jalees Honker can bring this to our lineup, and we can get something for Dan Haney in return. But uh, but the the thing too is with that is if it's a situation where the six guys that you have are truly better than Julius Honka. It's sucks because I think that he can bring a lot to this team this year, but it's one of those things that is like, you know, whatever, because you can still send him down without the risk of losing him. And then you look at next year when, hey, Dan Hanus is a free agent. Then there's a spot for him that naturally just kind of comes up right there. So it's one of those things that can work out that way too. But I'm, I'm truly interested to see how it works out because I just, don't. I think it's a good idea in theory, but I feel like that it could be, and, and maybe it's a little different this year with the coaching staff that they have being more seemingly more focused on developing players on the defensive side of the ice than the previous coaching staff was. So uh, we'll see, I guess.
1: Well, it's 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 interesting because it's. I think it can work well. Um, I, I I'm going to give. Right now, I'm going to give Rick Wilson and Ken Hitchcock the benefit of the doubt on this one. I'm not giving... If this was the same coaching staff as last year, I wouldn't believe it. That's the thing. Like, you meant if, if this was the same coaching staff as last year, I would be... Eh, it's not going to work. But with this new coaching staff in place and has a history of working with young defensemen, I, I think I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to see what's going to happen over the next six, seven weeks and see what happens. Um, it's... Because it could be... As I I think we can all agree, and some people, whether it's right now or whether it's six months from now, eventually, I think you agree with me on this, eventually Julius Honka is going to be a better offensive. Julius Honka may already be a better offensive defenseman than John Klingberg. If there's any defenseman on the stars who, with the puck on their stick, no one's better than Julius Honka, natural talent-wise. There's still some decision-making things Honka has to do here and there, but natural talent, there's no other, you wouldn't want any other defenseman to have the puck on their stick if it could be on Honka's stick. Is that fair? Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, so if you've got, so whether it's now, whether it's six months from now, Honka's going to make your team better. Uh, And I think you have to, you have to figure out what does that mean for everyone else. And Hopefully Rick Wilson can help him become that defensive, as good as he can be defensively, and and read the game a little better, things like that. And uh, personally, I'm interested to see just to talk to Honka after a couple weeks and just to see how he's taking it because that's the other big thing too. We talk about we often talk about players and we talk about them like they're in a vacuum and but this isn't a video game world where guys don't have emotions and things like that. It will be interesting to see how Honka tanks this, how Honka takes this as well because. He can buy in, and if he buys in, great. Then this can work. If he buys in and he's going to do it, great. But as much as he wants to buy in, if he gets to November and he's and it's not, he's not seen any results, and they're not playing him, that can lead to some frustrations. And you don't want someone pouting in the press box. So it's it's a slippery slope, but it can work.
0: Uh, Sean, clearly you have never played NHL Seventeen or NHL Eighteen because if you did, you would know that the players, in fact, do now have emotions. And if they don't play for long periods of time, they get sad and their attributes suffer.
1: Clearly, I haven't played an NHL video game in long enough or at least Uh, played in mode.
0: I'm going to go on a mini rant for a second. If you have not bought NHL 18 yet, don't. Literally, the only redeeming quality of the game is that it now has the Vegas Golden Knights. And if you wanted to start a franchise mode and just create an expansion team, you could do add a 30 second team to the league. And that's really cool. But guess what? The gameplay is still dog shit, and it has been dog shit for the last six renditions of the game. So if you're not trying to hate your life and throw your Xbox remote or your PlayStation 4 remote through your TV, don't buy this game because it sucks
1: ass and rant. Don't buy NHL 18. Good good to know. You saved me whatever. I wouldn't have spent the money anyway, but whatever it costs, you save me that money. If I
0: can stop three people from buying this fucking video game, I will consider it a win because then maybe if enough people stop buying it, they'll work on the gameplay because they haven't. It's just I I don't understand why. Like your guy is has his back to the boards, and a guy coming up on his right, and when you're trying to go left to get around this guy, your player decides that he just needs to default skate backwards right into the defender. Like who the fuck does that? This is not hockey. Like no. I, I haven't played contact hockey in like 10 years and I don't do that. And I suck. I'm so bad at hockey and I don't even do that. Like, I don't, I could rant on this shit for hours. I really wish I had one of those devices that like automatically records the gameplay that is going on because then I would sync up this microphone that I have to it and narrate every single game that I play and send it to the fucking idiots that make this Damn video game and ask them, what is wrong with you? How do you still have your job? Because you're not good at it. And it's a travesty. You, like the EA Sports is so lucky that the last NHL game that 2K Sports made was literally an atrocity against hockey games because otherwise it would go the way that their NBA live video game series went and disappear for three years because it was just so bad and no one ever bought it. It, oh, I'm passionate. sorry that I'm you're, sorry you're I put everyone about through this. that I am I just I thought it would be better and it's not and I just I get mad every time I play and then there are times that like we'll go out on like a Friday night and I'll come back and I'll turn it on and play a game before I go to bed and I'm like half drunk so I'm already like in a mood where I'm like ready to go like if someone wants to step up on me whatever let's do this let's dance and then it just happens to be my Xbox that decides it's the one that wants to step up on me. And I'm like, I need to put this down and go to better. I'm going to break my 32-inch TV that's probably worth like $5 now. So, yeah, don't buy NHL 18. End of story.
1: Let's, uh, I don't even know where we're that going. That felt
0: really good. I'm like, I'm like, I like got home. Therapeutic? We had, yeah, we had another midterm and another practical today. And I got home. And I opened up my laptop to start studying for the fifth midterm that we have in this tw- this seven day period tomorrow. And I took an hour nap against my will. And I woke up and, and how you take an hour nap against your will is you lay in bed to study and your eyes close and they just won't open regardless of how hard you try. And then you look at the clock and, oh, it's, I've been in bed for an hour and I have literally not studied one bit, Um, but I feel pretty good now. So that was good. I needed to get that off my chest.
1: Good now, now. Now that you're all relieved, let's 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 actually preview the Dallas Stars season here. <laughs> so let's uh, we've already t- touched on a bit of the defense, but we'll let's you know what we'll start there without talking about Honka. We've talked about Honka quite a bit already, but let's just when you we'll just start with the defense when you start going through. And I'm going to go through basically, I'm going to go through this preview basically going kind of line by line, pairing by pairing. And I'll let you, and then we'll kind of talk about what we can expect from each individual guy. So, and I'm going to go off, these are based roughly my projected lines based off practice and what we'll probably see Friday night against Vegas. Obviously, lines can change, they can shuffle, they could be completely different Saturday against St. Louis. But how we're going through this lineup is what I expect Friday. So, just to start on defense, just because why not? We already touched on Hanka. Your top pairing is going to be, uh, uh, I, I guess you can argue which one's going to be top pairing, and get more minutes, but we're going to, it's going to be S.L. Lindell and John Klingberg are going to be a pair. And that's a duo where we've talked about it before, where they had their struggles last year. Um, that sort showed promise too. It's a grouping that. Uh, Everyone thought Mark Mathot came in to play with John Klingberg. Um and obviously Ken Hitchcock decided that wasn't the case. Um, which I don't I don't have a problem with that. It's I actually I understand it slightly, even though I'd like I I think it's a pairing I would have liked to see given a little bit more of a of a stretch run there. But uh we'll start with that top pairing. Lindell and Klingberg, expectations, goals, aspirations, go.
0: Ooh, man. Um See, my lasting impression of this defensive pairing is cross-ice D-to-D passes that get intercepted and go on 2 on the other way. So I don't really know that I have many positive memories of this defensive pair to kind of go off of. But I am intrigued to see how Esselindel has improved this offseason and what he's going to bring to the table this year. Because I think it's really, and I 100% can confirm that I've said this before, that it's really difficult to believe that he was only a rookie last year because I feel like we've been talking – I mean, I feel like I've been talking about him for multiple years because we've only been doing this podcast for a year, so we can – us two collectively. Well, actually, that's not true because you were covering Texas before then, so we might we – we've probably have been talking about him for multiple years. But he – um I like his game. I think he can be a good, steady – defenseman. And I think he kind of had expectations set a little too high for him last year. And obviously, if you set really high expectations for a rookie defenseman, they're never going to live up to it because that just isn't the way that young defensemen work in the NHL. So I'm intrigued to see. I think, I guess there's something to be said for continuity among it. Um, but I, I think the key with it, with this one, is that if it's clear that this pair isn't working, then the coaching staff can't force it, like Lindy and company tried to do last year when it clearly wasn't working. Because that's when, that's when things started to go off the rails. Well, not started to go off the rails. Things were well off the rails by that point. But that was kind of when it was like, okay, this coaching staff really doesn't have a clue what it's doing with the defense because this is clearly not working and they're still trying to shove a John Klingberg, Lindel top pairing down our throats.
1: It's It's interesting with both these guys because your uh, not only are I expect both of them to be better this year. I think the I think they'll be better coached this year. I think they'll both be uh they both have another year of experience in the I think they'll both be better this year. The other interesting thing just with this duo to think about and this is um this is until Julius Hanka is no longer um in the in basically I'm just going to refer to the Julius Honka program as extended spring training, basically, like how they have guys do that in baseball. I'm just going to call it that. Um, Interesting thing, like from practice today, you're looking at the power play units. Essa Lindell and John Klingberg are both going to be on the power play, but not together. It's um, the first power play unit today. The Stars have been practicing with two, four forward, one defense power play units. And Klingberg is the defenseman on the one power play, Lindell is the power the defenseman on the other power play. Um, so these these two, um, Lindell and Klingberg, not only it'll be interesting to see what they can do together, it'll also be interesting to see what they can do apart too. Because we know Klingberg can run a power play. We know he can do that, but what will will Lindell be able to do that? Will Lindell be able to do that on the second unit? Will he be able to do it as the only defenseman there and be the 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 basically the defensive rock that stops things from falling apart. That's going to be real interesting to watch because um, it's. I don't know how it's going to look. I'm not sure what it's going to look live against... Uh, the power play has a lot of talent. I just don't know how cohesive it's going to look. And we're going to learn... I guess we'll learn a lot on Friday with that one.
0: I'm trying to look up S's stats real quick because he's never really been... Even through, like, Texas and Finland, I don't know that he was ever really a guy who was like a big point producer. Um, so I, I think that'll be intriguing to see uh, how he is used to sort of balance out that second power play pair. But I mean, if you look at this group of defensemen they have, if we're counting Julius Honka is on the NHL roster, but not technically in the conversation to play, he might be, Lindell that is, might be the second best offensive defenseman that they have. And, I mean, when I say offensive defenseman, I don't mean, like, John Klingberg offensive defenseman. I mean, like, in terms of offensive ceiling, he might be the second-best guy on this team. Because, I I mean, it's not Dan Hanhuis. It's not Mark Mathot. It's not Jamie Alexiak. You're the only other guy I can make an argument for really would be Stephen Johnson. He's in the same boat that he hasn't really proven it at this level of hockey either. So, I mean... <laughs> It, it, it's one of those things, you're not going to throw five forwards out there on the power play, so it, it, it's almost one of those where it's a uh, like a we're going to put him out there because we don't really have much of another option, but I'm I'm interested to see if he's able to take that opportunity and run with it, or if he's just kind of being a placeholder for the inevitable Julius Honka show.
1: Yeah, on the second power play unit, which I think that really will be the case. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I mean, once Hanka's in this lineup, he's quarterbacking a power play unit. We can all agree upon that. Um, second unit, or 1A, 1B, depending on how you want to call it, because we know they're going to play against the other team's best players, is it's Mark Mathot and Jamie Alexiak, And I actually talked to Mathot this morning about playing with Alexiak and how uh, just the... What he sees with how the chemistry's kind of been built with him and Alexiak, where there's still some work to be done, and, and uh, Mathot's always been quite open and honest about how it takes it takes quite a few games to build chemistry with a guy, no matter who they are. Um, but he's, he said one interesting thing with Alexiak: Alexiak plays the uh, Alexiak plays on his offhand pretty well. He likes Mathot likes how. Um, he likes how Alexiak has, has used his size more than he expected him to do. Like, it was funny. Mark Mathot basically kind of inadvertently kind of gave the analysis of Jamie Alexiak that we've given in the past where he didn't expect him to use his size as well as he had, and that's something that we've all seen Jamie Alexiak kind of step up and do more this year. That's a pair that's big. It can be physical. We'll see how Jamie Alexiak plays over over time, but they're going to get a lot, of, a lot of time shorthanded, and they are going to... Uh, they're going to play against a. They're going to play against the other team's top players quite often. I think the bigger question mark here is not. I mean, Mathock. We know Mathok can do that. Just the bigger question is here: is do, is Jamie Alexiak the player Ken Hitchcock believes he's become? And I don't know the answer to that. That's something where I'm. I admit Jamie Alexiak is better than he's been in the past. I also don't. I haven't seen from my own viewing. I haven't seen him as this top four um, quality defense. Not quality. This top four. Top four lock of a defenseman that Hitch has talked about. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of a bit of an unknown to see what happens once uh, the real games start flying on the, with this pairing.
0: Right. Uh, going back to Essa real quick. His last full year in Finland, he had 35 points in 57 games, and then his last full year in the AHL, he had 42 and 73. So the offense is kind of there for him if he's able to find his game. Um, as with Mathot, I know I kind of touched on this before the stars got him. I am not as keen on Mark Mathot as a lot of other people were. I think he's a good player, but I also think that the kind of rapport that it was like the mystique around him, that he was the co-pilot to Eric Carlson and helped him be who he was is kind of a misnomer because I feel like he was kind of like a child in the backseat almost that was along for the ride with Carlson because you could have put a tin can out there with Eric Carlson and he still would have done what he was doing with the puck. And that's not a, I mean, it sounds like it's a knock on Mark Mathon. I don't mean it to be. I just mean that Eric Carlson's probably the most exciting offensive defenseman. Well, that's not even necessarily true because Brent Burns is still pretty freaking good too, but Eric Carlson is, they don't grow on trees. Um, So I think that, I mean, that, What Mathot was going to bring to this lineup was kind of not oversold, but, I mean, he's obviously going to bring a veteran presence. And my question would really be with this is because, I mean, we did all have him penciled in with Klingberg, but where is he more valuable in this lineup? Riding with a guy like Klingberg who doesn't really need a babysitter, or is he more valuable playing with a guy like Alexiak who kind of does need a veteran babysitter to help him through growing pains and whatnot
1: that's a good point i mean it's also one of the main reasons that 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 same point is one of the reasons that before everything shook out with how it did i was saying that Mathot would actually be a really good fit with honka um which uh and we've, we've talked about honka way too much already but yeah that, no, that that's a good point uh, i i think i think the key with i think the one I think there's something you you can't they they did miss that veteran presence on defense last year. I last year it was really basically Dan Hamhuse, and that was Dan Hamhuse was really the only vet on d last year and that, that and they they were missing that kind of um, so I think Mathot will make them better. Um, I see your point about him not to, I mean, Eric Carlson's a hell of a player, and so I agree with you on that. I mean, but I, I think he'll have a nice impact with whoever he plays with. Um, get to our third pairing on defense, and it's Dan Hamhuis and Stephen Johns, and I think that that's actually a pretty good third pairing. It's um, it's not a world-beating defensive pairing, but it's it's a, it's a reliable one, especially if Johns can play without the fear of throwing the puck over the glass and sitting for six weeks.
0: That's the, probably the most important point of all this is I think that I inexplicably like Stephen Johns a lot more than I should. I just, the way he plays the game is exciting to me because he's fast. He's not like a loose cannon with the puck, but it's not always smooth and silky. And he's just, he lays lumber and it's fun to watch. But, I, and I think he he's a guy that like just the way that they have this this is going back to the previous point about thought with Alexiak having him play with a guy like Danny who's who can kind of be out there to not hold his hand but but kind of, but kind of rein him in a little bit I think will be important to him as well and I'm really interested to see what he plays like and how he does this year with the confidence of knowing that he's going to be a guy who's in the lineup basically every night. Because I think that was really the only thing missing with him last year was confidence And once he did something that, you know, wasn't even necessarily – I mean, the puck over the glass thing is a stupid penalty, and I don't know why it's still a thing. But for that to be a mistake that kind of throws you out of favor with a coaching staff is just asinine in my opinion. So I'm interested to see what an improved confidence does to Stephen John's game this year.
1: Yeah. The one thing on John's, I will say the confidence is important. But the other thing is he does need to, he does need to show a bit of, he needs to show a bit of progression just in his hockey smarts. Um, he doesn't have the highest. Now some guys have a high hockey IQ right away. And John's is, John's is actually a very smart. I mean, he has a, he's a, Degree from Notre Dame. We know he's smart. Um, but he, uh, I mean, he just needs to show a little bit of progression with his hockey IQ for me just to, for him to have a truly good season. Like he is a, right now, Steven Johns is a very good third pairing defenseman. In order for Steven Johns to be more than that, he needs to show a bit more of his hockey IQ and just progress a little bit more and add just some control to that brash physical style. Um, you were talking about
0: right like you don't want him running around out there like a chicken with his head cut off you need him to have some structure to his game I think there's a benefit of having a guy who's not like crazy so to speak but who has that wild kind of unpredictable edge to his game because I think it can add a lot of benefit to your defense especially when you throw him out there against another team's top scorers when you know you got like Taylor Hall coming down the left-wing boards, and he's got to slow his entry to the zone because he's got to be looking out because he doesn't want to get railroaded by Stephen Johns. I think that brings a lot to your game. Um, so if he can rein it in a little bit, I think that he can be a really important player, and I think it could give Dallas a really much more complete defense than we saw last year.
1: Yeah. Last defender, I mean, we've already talked about Honka a lot, and we know about his play on last defender, who's basically... <sighs> He's kind of a placeholder right now. He's kind of a placeholder that I think is just there. I mean, he's there in case of injury, in case of, in case they say they decide to make another trade and open space up for Hanka. He's basically your seventh slash eighth defenseman, depending on how you look at it. Is Greg Patteron, um, and we kind of know what we're getting with Greg Patteron. He's a guy who has, uh, who is not going to. Uh, he plays a simple, solid game. He can step in and play when he, uh, he can step in and play if he hasn't played for two weeks. And there are worse. I mean, it's better having him in that role than Patrick Nemeth, just because Patrick Nemeth, there was so much of the expectation from the franchise and what he was in the past history. And just a guy who kind of didn't take it very well, um, being a healthy scratch and, and Patteron can handle that. So, um, I don't, unless you have something else to add on pattern, we'll move on to the next position.
0: No, he was, he's kind of that guy who is sort of like that Jordy Ben before Jordy Ben actually became an important part of this defense a couple years ago. So I think he fits it well.
1: Uh, you want to do goalies or forwards next?
0: Uh, why not do goalies? We got a question about goalie. We got couples, so we can do that. We can kind of work these questions into it as we go.
1: Perfect. Okay. Well, first one, first goalie's Ben Bishop, and uh, he had kind of a subpar preseason, which was I wouldn't be overly concerned about. I know there was some questions on if people should be concerned about his subpar preseason, Um, but goalies typically, unless you're Jake Allen, goalies typically do better with Ken Hitchcock just because of the system he plays in front of them, and Bishop has a, has a chance to have a bounce back here. He's got that contract. He's got stability. Uh, I think just the one question with him is just his health.
0: I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were stopping at that point in that sentence. But, yeah, that's a um, – I'm trying to find this question. Uh, probably need 10 or 15 games to see if Bishop is a number one goalie. Again, any concern with injury history, he might miss some games, especially in that past age 30. And I think, yeah, there is a – Huge concern with any goalie past age 30 because I mean, you see the stuff these guys do in the net. It's not natural. Your leg muscles are not supposed to move like that. And there's always an inherent risk. I mean, anytime you're playing professional sport, there's an inherent risk for injury. When you're playing a position like goalie, there's an added risk for it. People are shooting a piece of frozen rubber at you a hundred miles an hour while you're flopping around with 20 pounds of gear on. It happens. And with Bishop, he had a stretch for three years where he was one of the best goalies in the league. And then he had injuries last season. and He's had injury issues before. So I I do think that's a big concern. And that's part of the reason why Dallas was able to sign him for less than $5 million a year because of those concerns. And the fact that that they gave him a six year deal too.
1: But it's also probably part of the reason Bishop's agent probably knew that too. It's probably part of the reason Bishop got a six year deal. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, I, I do think there's, there is, always going to be in the back of your head a little bit of concern about that but it's just and this is something I saw on Twitter today too uh now that uh Malcolm Subban no wait this was well Malcolm Subban got claimed by Vegas which was the the point that I was tying to was that the Bruins now for like a five-year period they're like for three draft picks are not on their team anymore or something like that but it basically said the, this the other point was that I was trying to make was that Andre Vaskalevsky is the only goalie drafted in the first round the last like eight years who's on, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it, basically the underlying point was that no one knows what the hell goes on with goalies because it's just, it's a crapshoot. It's like starting quarterbacks in the NFL. No one has any idea what makes a good starting quarterback. So yeah, I'd say there is concern. I think Ben Bishop is an upgrade over what they had last year, which isn't saying a ton, but I think he's going to be, I, he's a top 15 goal in the NHL. I think at his basement, assuming that he is healthy. And I've been doing that thing again, where I'm just making sentences that <clears throat> don't make sense. So use talk for a second.
1: well oh. I, I, the injury concern is real just because there is a history there and you, you want to hope he stays healthy. I think the one key is the one key to Ben Bishop's success. And this loops in perfectly to my, to our next player is the one key to Ben Bishop's success is Kari Lettinen being a successful backup goalie. I mean, for years, one of the stars' biggest problems, and it was the reason they went out and got anti Emmy when they did was their backup goalies behind Kari Lettinen couldn't win games. Now, Kari Lettinen's on the other side of that, where they need Kari Lettinen to be a good goalie in the 25 to 30 starts a year he makes, depending on how many it is. And and he needs to be able to help take some of the workload off Bishop. Like, for example, this weekend, the Stars open with uh, they open with a back-to-back. They play Vegas on Friday. They play at St. Louis on Saturday. He's going to play both goalies. Next week, week two of the season, you've got Detroit, Detroit. Uh, Detroit, Colorado, and Nashville, I believe, in a th- three games in a five day span. You're going to need Kari Letnin to play one of those games at least. I think that it comes down to you're and I think Letnin can actually fit well in this. He's, I think he can play well because playing in a backup role, he won't be playing, he won't have the pressure that you get in a playoff series as a backup goalie. But you need him to. To be a reliable backup in order for this to work. And I think he can do that. I, I really think he can. I mean, we talked about, I believe you you wrote something last year about how the Stars goalies were getting unfair criticism and and, and they were, but in order for Bishop to work well and to be able to stay healthy and upright, they need Kari Letton to be able to unburden some of the load. Bishop's going to be the starter, but it's, and it's not going to be a pure 1A, 1B. It's not going to be like that, but it's going to be, you need something where, you can have a, even if it means Bishop playing 50 games and Lettinen getting get 32, if my math's correct. Something along those lines that uh, that allows Bishop to stay healthy and Lettinen is playing well enough for you to keep playing him.
0: And it doesn't really matter <clears throat> who's back there and who's sitting because the Stars are not going to have any success in goal if they don't play significantly better than they did in front of them last year. So... That's a big factor in this whole thing, too, if the Stars aren't improved. They, they should be significantly improved defensively. So you should see that kind of trickle down into improved goaltending statistics, too. But that's the underlying point, is if the Stars are not better in front of their goalies, then it doesn't matter who they have back there. They're not going to be successful.
1: I do think I do think I do like what Bishop brings in where we I think we might have touched on it before if we haven't I've just written about it I do like what Bishop brings in with his puck handling skills I think that is can be an asset this year that doesn't make them um, that doesn't make them a doesn't make them an, an elite team right away or anything like that but it's a nice little element that comes into play and and makes you overall better team um, and so I, I think that is uh, that that's something that we can't ignore because you'll just see it within the flow of games with how the stars, uh, how the stars use Bishop's puck handling to their advantage. Because Kari Latanin isn't a bad puck han- let me phrase it this way: Kari Latanin is a talented puck handler. He just wasn't a very he's just not. A, doesn't make smart decisions with the puck. While well, Bishop um, is a very smart puck handler.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that assessment.
1: So, uh, anything else on the goalies before we move on to the uh, the big group? Negative. All right, to the forwards. Um, your first line, which is going to should be exciting to watch this year, is Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, and Alexander Radulov, and it should be it, sh- it should be a fun group to watch with the puck.
0: Yeah, I, I think fun would be is baseline expectation with this group. It's um, I think that we should see a return to Ben Sagan that we saw two years ago when Dallas was first in the West and it seemed like they were scoring four times a game. So I am I for one am excited to see, especially now that because that was more of a situation where Ben and Sagan were on their own planet and whoever just happened to be playing alongside them was almost just there for the ride and occasionally contributed something. This should be a situation where they now have a third guy who's, more than capable of stepping up to the challenge and being more than just a passenger on that line.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, I I think we talk all, and I wrote a story about this and if you haven't read it yet, you should. Um, I wrote about uh, a story about this yesterday about Radulov and everyone coming in. And when, when you sign a guy like that, the first thing that comes to mind are the YouTube highlights or the goal he scored last year, where he turned the stars inside out. And, made Kari Latnin look like he was swimming. Um, the thing that's most impressive to me about Radulov and just watching what he does is he creates so much space for his line mates because of how he controls the puck. And when and with him coming to a team, um, Ken Hitchcock team, that wants to possess the puck and hold the puck and, and cycle and, and, and switch in the zone and things like that, he's a tough guy to get the puck off of. And I, I think... The amount of space that's going to open up for Sagan and Ben, I think that's going to be, I think that's something we're going to notice. You're going to notice if you pay attention to it. Um, if be, you're 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 going to notice, start noticing Ben and Sagan have more space and things like that, and that's going to be because of Radulov. And if you're paying attention, that's why. Just what he does, how he battles, and how he wins the p- pucks. and um, I, I think that's a huge part of what he brings, and it just fits so well with what uh, the this coaching staff wants to do.
0: You know, now that I think about it, I'm really intrigued to see what happens to Dallas's defensive score, defenseman scoring uh, among guys who are consistently playing with that trio, because you're, I feel like you're going to see a lot of opposing teams, their wingers cheating down in the zone a little bit to try to shut down that creativity and take away all of their time and space collectively in the offensive zone, which should lead theoretically to a lot of open defensemen for shots from the point.
1: Um, which could be, I mean, and, and that could be, and for that, that could mean more point opportunities for the guys you don't think of as offensive. You, the guy like Steven Johns, who has a heavy shot, and the guy like Mark Mathot, who doesn't have a, is far from an offensive defenseman, but has, has a heavy shot where he could, there could be more opportunities for him to shoot the puck. So that's a really good point. Because that's
0: a, a situation where it's like you don't necessarily need. A a guy like John Klingberg out there in that situation to take advantage of something like that, because that becomes a situation then when you're just looking for the guy to make a smart play with the puck and find a shooting lane to get the puck through. You don't need a hard, accurate shot to the top corner or anything like that, because if you're, you got five defensemen playing, or you got five guys on the other team playing below the circles to try to take away time and space for the forwards, there's going to be a ton of traffic. So you just got to get a load of the ice and hope it hits something. So that'll be, That'll be something to keep an eye on this year, I feel like, at least when that trio is out on the ice.
1: Um, I guess we'll call it the second line, just because it's, I think we're going to have, uh, I think it's going to be more of this year where you're going to kind of have that first line getting more minutes and then kind of a somewhat even breakdown of the second through fourth lines. Um, but what we'll call the second line for this conversation is the Matthias Yanmark, Jason Spezza, Brett Ritchie trio. And, uh, that's a, uh, if you're talking, you're talking about physicality and controlling the puck, I mean, that's a group where you're talking about where could be, I don't want to say as dangerous with the puck offensively, but because of the matchups they'll be getting and how the stars are going to be using Martin, the Martin Hansel line against the other team's top players, that's a, that's a line that could be put up a lot of points this year just because of the situation they're going to be in and the players themselves
0: yeah and it's it goes into kind of that trickle down effect where the stars have decent secondary scoring but they don't necessarily have a true second line where an opposing coach is going to have to sit there and think well, do I try to shut this top line down or do I try to shut this second line down or does it kind of depend on in-game situations because I don't think that there's any line on Dallas, any second, third, fourth line, whatever on Dallas where an opposing coach is going to say, I need to put my top defensive guys out there against this line. It's always going to be that Ben Sagan-Radulov line. And, <clears throat> and that's not to say that there's guys up further down this Dallas lineup that can make noise if the situation is right. It's just they're not guys who are, if you're an opposing team that you're going to focus your game plan on shutting down, it's one of those things that you try to take away the big guns. And if the secondary guys beat you, then so be it. it that That's just how the ball rolls sometimes. So there's going to be a lot of chances, like you just said, to, <laughs> for these guys to kind of feast on lesser competition.
1: Well, and I think, I mean, I think Yanmark could be, uh, you talk about a guy who, Yanmar um, could be a candidate for the Masterton based on if he comes back and has a great year, even just what he, a year he had two years ago after that. Uh, I mean, he's, he could be a candidate for the Masterton trophy after, uh, with a, with a good season with his comeback story. Cause they don't, they don't give a comeback player of the year award. That's often, that's typically ends up the Masterton ends up falling fa- falling under that. Um, and, and, and he's looked good with Spezza. He's looked very good with Jason Spezza. And I think with, uh, I think Richie adds a nice element to that too, where you got two guys who are a bit more creative, a bit more. in uh, is like to score, but two guys who are a bit more creative and kind of that guy who's a pure finisher. It's it, it, it's a good it's a good combination um, for all three of those guys. I think they'll all really be able to play well off of each other.
0: Am I off base to say that the true ceiling for this Dallas Stars season rests? On, guy on the production of guys like Brett Ritchie and Matthias Yanmark and Jason Spezza and Antoine Roussel.
1: I don't think you're off base to say that because if, if if you have if this team even if it's it's the classic case of even if, if Spezza Ben and, and uh, not Spezza if Sagan Ben and Radulov get their points, but you don't have the depth scoring. Then they're not. You're not going to win because teams will just load up and, and, and lock and shut that down. That line down. You need for your top line to have the maximum success. You need the depth scoring.
0: Because I feel like the baseline for this team should be a playoff team.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Brett Ritchie being, I feel like Brett Ritchie being a fifty point guy versus Brett Ritchie being a thirty point guy is could be able. To, the legitimate difference between this team finishing first or second in the conference and the, them finishing as a wild card team—that's
1: a very fair point. I mean, whether it's and not Richie, just yeah, not
0: just Brett Ritchie in general, but like guys like that.
1: Yes, yes, no, that's fair. Um, for and guys like what can Devin, how many can Devin Shore put up points like that? I mean, guys like that too. Just we'll we'll talk about Devin Shore in a minute here. Um, it's no, it's it's. That's going to be a key point for this team. You need to have that secondary scoring. You need to have the buildup where it's going to work. Where, I think you have that in that. You have high potential in that second group offensively. Um, I think Yanmark makes up for it. Richie's gotten better defensively. We've talked about Jason Spez's lack of defensive ability in the past. Um, the good thing is, Yanmark makes up for that. We saw that two years ago. And Richie's got a lot better defensively. And the good thing about it is, this line is never. With Yanmark's knee and Spezza and Richie's skill set, you're not. This is not the line that is getting put out for a defensive zone faceoff. If they're taking defensive zone faceoff, it's because they ice the puck. Um, I, I think I think we can agree upon that because it's th- this is a group that you're going to is going to be asked to. They're not going to be asked to shut people down. They're going to be asked to cause a bit of, to to add some scoring. And I think I think in that role, this trio can be very very good.
0: Right, and they don't need to be a group that goes out and shuts people down because you have, especially since it looks like, again, that Raddick Fox is going to be a center, you have two lines that are capable of doing that dirty defensive work yeah. stuff yeah. that this team will need.
1: So let's get to that next line, and Fox's line will be after that, So it's just kind of interesting if you think about it that way. But the uh, you've got this week not this week, sorry. Um, The third line is right now it's starting to look like uh, Devin Shore, Martin Hansel, and Tyler Pitlick. That's who's been playing together recently in practice. And that's a group that is going to be matched up against the other team's top players. They're going to be when the stars don't go best on best, quote unquote best on best with the uh, Sagan line, Hansel will get the 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 big draws, um, and they've got and it and it works because I think I think Hansel's game works very well for Shore to play off of. Um, Hansel's game is it's physical, it's big. He shuts down the other team's players, and Devin Shore and Devin Shore is just a smart player, a guy who kind of knows the game in all three zones can can play any role. And I think he'll fit really well with Martin Hansel. Um, I think Pitlick could have a really good season. I think Pitlick could be kind of one of the surprise guys that people forget about and then um, step into play. But I, I, but I I really like the shore Hansel combination on that line in particular.
0: Devin shore kind of reminds me a little bit of a guy like Connor Sheary, not in, Obviously, this comparison doesn't hold as much water as it would have like a year and a half ago, because obviously Connor Sherry just came out and scored 55 points playing with Sidney Crosby. But he's kind of like that guy that he can play up and down in the lineup. He can play on your top line. He can play on your bottom line. He can play on your power play. He can play on your penalty kill. Is a guy that you kind of need in today's NHL to be successful. He and he ju- he just he fits anywhere in the lineup so well. Center, wing, wherever help play him on defense, I bet he could probably do that too. I don't know if he could do it proficiently, but, you know, what do I know? So I I agree with that, though. I mean, he's a guy who does have offensive capabilities. We saw at college, we've seen it in the AHL, we've seen it in the NHL. I'm excited to see what Tyler Pitlick will do on that line too, because I feel like he's a – if he can stay healthy, play 75, 80 games this year, he's a sneaky candidate to put up 30 points as well. So that's that's another one of those lines that there's offensive – Capability to it, but there's also a lot of it's. It's. I don't want to call it grit because I. I feel like that's a term that kind of just gets thrown around and misused. But it's. It's like a feisty line almost that it's just going to go out there and annoy the hell out of you.
1: Well, it's a little, and it's a little bit. it's, uh, It's a feisty line. It's a big line, not not overly big, but it's got. It's it's got potential to just. To be annoying to play against. Um, and speaking in that same realm, um, that that fourth line, quote unquote fourth line, you're looking at a group that is Antoine Roussel, Raddock Fox, uh, Adam Cracknell, and uh, probably uh, Jamel Smith. One one night this weekend, that's a line that is annoying to play against too. Just a that's your
0: uh, that's your pest line right there, but that's mm-hmm. it's the same thing. It's guys who <laughs> have offensive capabilities, and that's, I think, my favorite thing about the construction of this team this year is it's so atypical from what you see normally in the NHL where you just have a clear hierarchy of, you know, this is our top line, we're going to play 22 minutes a night, then our second line that we're going to try to play 17 minutes a night, then our third line that's going to play... 11-12 minutes a night in our fourth line that we're going to throw out there for five to six, seven minutes a night. And hope they don't get killed. This, depending on how guys are playing within the game, after that Ben Sagan Radulov line, I could see any of these three lines playing the second most minutes on any given night. Mm-hmm. Just because there's,
1: it probably just depends it just, on it. Just probably just depends on special teams how the special teams go that night. Right,
0: exactly, and it's just it it it, it can kind I can kind of understand an argument where you'd say it'd be bad because like the gap between players in terms of what they bring to the table in terms of their skill set and overall talent level or whatever is so small but I'd argue that that's a good thing too because all these these are all guys that you may not want them as second line guys but they all can be at their best I feel and that not okay let me let me rephrase that because someone's going to say you're an idiot Adam Cracknell's not a second line player or whatever but I just I I don't have a problem if you play this line of roussel fox and cracknell like 15 16 minutes a night if they're playing well
1: no not at all i don't i agree with that that's that's i get your i get your point at least
0: (laughs) but it's not like a a line that you consistently want being your second most used line but if it's if they're playing well and you throw them out there for 18 minutes a night i don't think anyone's going to have any second thoughts about that
1: Mm -hmm. it's uh No, it, it's, it's a good setup. I, I like what the, I like where this lineup is uh, is set up. And then you also have, I mean, we'd be remiss if we just didn't touch on the depth, too. You've got guys who can step in because injuries happen. And you've got guys who can step in well. I mean, Curtis McKenzie is going to start in the AHL. But Curtis McKenzie, if you have an injury in your bottom six, Curtis McKenzie can easily step in and play there. You've got Remy Ellie who's ready for the NHL. You've got... Um, you got Ropey Hints, who could be, uh, who I, I like that Rope Hints is starting the AHL because he needs to. I want him to continue to grow and play big minutes down there. Um, it's you've got good depth too, and that's something where this team saw how injuries can impact a team last year, and injuries will happen. So they seem better prepared for that this year than in the past, which it just add, adds kind of a cherry on the top of this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's not. Really, a situation? I mean, unless like five guys crash in at center ice and they all simultaneously concuss each other, there's not really a situation where this team should be unprepared to deal with a rash of injuries. So, I'm uh, I'm excited for this. This is gonna be. This is what we've been waiting for.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh let's let's get into just some predictions here. Just see how things play out. And this is uh, this is not going to be. We're not going to do the entire NHL. We're just going to do the Central Division because that's we've paid most attention to. So we're just we're just going to talk the Central Division, um, and we're gonna we're gonna pick this here. Um, you want to go from top to bottom or bottom to top on this one?
0: Uh, let's go bottom to top because I feel like that might be a little. I don't even actually know if that's going to be easier because I don't even know how I'm going to do one to six in this division.
1: Okay, well we'll start with seven.
0: Colorado.
1: And they'll be better than they were last year. They have to be better than they were last year. I don't see how they could be worse. But um <laughs> and they'll be better so than that's my
0: rationale with Dallas' defense. It has to be better this year because it can't possibly be any worse.
1: Yeah. that, that team was that Colorado team was historically bad last year too. Um I uh, yeah, Colorado seventh. I think they'll be a little bit better this year, especially if uh, uh, Varlamov is uh, is back to kinds of fine's form from a couple years ago. Um, but let's let's jump up to here. Okay, who's six for you? Who's missing the playoffs for sure?
0: To be honest, I think St. Louis. Let me state. I, I guess I should probably state this is just me. I'm literally freelancing this off the top of my head right now because I did not, I did not prepare because I've been studying for the last three weeks of my life. But them losing Robbie Fabry is a humongous loss. He, he has, I, I mean, obviously coming in and playing right out right the year he was drafted, especially being a late first round pick is hugely impressive. Um, if Clem if Koston can come in and kind of replace his production, then that's going to change things, obviously. But I'm still I, – I, we, we rated goalies in the central last week, and I think I had Jake Allen second or – I had him second or third. But, I mean, I still am not – especially after the playoffs he had last year, I'm still not 100% sold on him. Now that they're going a full season without Shattenkirk on the blue line, um, depending on if Colton Pareko can kind of take his offensive game to the next level, I think they're going to miss that. Um, Other than him and Petrangelo, I'm not really crazy about what they have on defense. Um Adding Braden Shen helps a lot, um, especially with Paul Stastny already being there. So they have two... They probably have one of the better one-two center punches in the league. Obviously, any team with Vlad Tarasenko is good. It's just... I it's just this just call this gut feeling. I don't know because it's there's.
1: I have St. six teams I, in this division that I, that I, I could I, see I, making. It's, it's tough, and, and 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 no matter who you put at six, someone's going to call you an idiot. And so I'm actually going to agree with you, so people can call us idiots together. Um, but that's not why. I actually I think the factor for St. Louis is I look at. Um. I think Berglund is still out for a while. Uh, Bowmeister's hurt. Um, you've got Fabry gone for the entire season. Isn't uh, Steen Steen still has a couple weeks before he's healthy too? Isn't he? I think something along. We'll I for. think so.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you look at all these guys too. These aren't spring chicken guys. These are all no. guys who are thirty and older. And we talk. You talk about Chicago seeing some of its big guns kind of start to hit that tail end of their yeah. prime or start to sail past their prime. St. Louis has got a lot of these guys too.
1: Yeah, so St. Louis, I mean, I look at St. Louis and I think if the season was starting 6 weeks from now, maybe they're a playoff team. But I just I just I and we saw last year that we saw last year what the uh we saw last year what a slow start does to a team and I think St. Louis could be a victim of that. I'm not saying they're going to fall as as hard as the Stars did, but I think the slow st- slow start and dealing with that is going to be is what drops them to six in this division.
0: I'm also going to preface the rest of this by saying I can. If you told me teams one through six in the central, you could put them in a random number generator and then handed me a list and saying this is the order that these six teams are going to finish in the central, and I would 100 percent buy that because I can see any of these six teams winning the division and any of these six teams finishing sixth in the division, mm-hmm. because that's how tight they are. I think talent wise and just how things break it. You just, you never know. And it, it it's going to be that I could legitimately see these six teams all finishing with 90 plus points.
1: I agree. Who's your, uh, who's fifth for you.
0: I'd still say Winnipeg. I'm not 100% stole, sold on Steve Mason. I believe they have a lot of really good young players that I like. Um, that if they, put, I hope to God that they put Lion a Shifley and Nick Ehlers on that top line, because I think that could challenge Ben Sagan or as the top first line in the division. And that would be fun to watch. And there could be a lot of seven to six Dallas Winnipeg games this year. Um, but just what they have throughout the rest of their lineup, I'm not sold on them defensively. Um, they, I mean, they have some good defensemen, but I just, as a collective whole, I'm not sold as them as a unit. So I am going to put them as fifth.
1: I have Chicago fifth. I think. See, I can they, buy that too. Like I, I have Chicago fifth. I have, it's, I think it's Blackhawks continuously every year. They're always good. And you know what, they even, being fifth in this division, they could still make the playoffs. They could still make the playoffs being fifth in this division. And I think that's yep. highly possible. I just think it's. There's. They're older. And I also. Like, I, I know Patrick Sharp has had a nice preseason for them, but I. Like, they brought Patrick Sharp and Patrick Sharp doesn't add. He's not Patrick Sharp from. Even if healthy, he's not Patrick Sharp from three, four years ago. Um, they've got. I think. I didn't really understand flipping Panera. I mean and Sod's not a bad player. I never really, under, I don't really, I didn't really like flipping Panarin for Sod. Um, I wasn't a fan of that move from Chicago. I think it was a great move for Columbus. Um, and I think, I mean, the other thing was they, they also, uh, traded, I believe it was because of a cap crunch, if I'm getting my, I mean, losing, uh, losing, losing, uh, Jalmerson for basically nothing to Arizona doesn't help either. Um, yeah, they
0: brought in, a. Uh... We got Connor Murphy back in that, who is a good player, but he's also a guy who has a significant injury risk with him as well.
1: Yeah, so like, I, I think I I have Chicago fifth, um, which means I have Winnipeg fourth. Does do you, do you have what's your who's your fork right now? If, if I have Chicago fourth, okay, so we you and I are kind of flip flopped on four and five.
0: And one thing about Chicago, um, Corey Crawford wasn't bad last year, but he also had his worst statistical season since 2011-12. So, and I mean, he's a guy who's turned 33 in December. So, I mean, you talk about talking about guys kind of re- exiting their prime and I don't even remember who's the. Who's their backup now? Because, I mean, there's no Scott Darling safety net, and that was basically the overreaching point on that, too. So if Corey Crawford goes through a rough stretch, then uh, you don't have Scott Darling back there to be like, yeah, let's just start him three, four straight games and let Crawford sit on the bench and figure himself out.
1: Well, Chicago's backup is now going to be, if I remember... It's not Berube.
0: I'm pretty sure they sent him down.
1: It's uh, Anton Forsberg let me... I believe it's Anton Forsberg.
0: I think you're right, because he was one of the guys they got in that Panarin trade. And I'm trying to see what his... uh, I probably spelled his name wrong. I'm not going to worry about it right now. But yeah, that's basically basically the underlying point there, is that there's no... It's not a situation like they've had the last couple of years, where they have a very capable... I mean, Anton Forsberg could very well end up being Mm -hmm. a very capable backup for them, but it's just... There's no track record for me to sit here right now and say, "Yeah, Corey Crawford is kind of having a rough patch." Then they will still be fine.
1: Yeah. Who's uh? So that's if you've got that's our four. We got we got four and five there. We base we both have the same three teams at the top. Meaning we have um, we have Nashville, Dallas, and Minnesota in our top three. Let's. I guess we'll. I guess we'll go from the top then. If we've got if we've got. And, and, we'll, and we'll talk it out here. Who's your Who's your top three then? If, if if we have if we've already declared, both of us have the same top three. What's your What's your prediction for one, two, three in this division?
0: I have Minnesota at one, just because I think that Devin Dubnik has at least proven the last couple of years that he's the best, at least of these three goalies. And I'm pretty. I I definitely said last week that I have him as the best goalie in this division. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I mean. They have a, a really good defense in front of them as well. Uh, with obviously Ryan Sutter is a horse. Um, Jared Spurgeon's kind of come into his own a lot the last couple of years. You got Matt Dumba, who's got another year of experience under his belt. Jonas Brodeen. Obviously they had to trade Marco Scandella out. So they're not quite as deep on that as they were last year. Uh, but there's, uh, there's still a really good base in front of Dubnik. Um, I don't know what they're going to get out of Zach Parisi this year. I don't know. I mean, herniated discs are bad news that shit does not just heal on its own. Um, and I feel terrible for him from a human perspective, because that's probably something that he's, he's going to have to have that taken out at some point in his life. And I'm sure that's not going to be very pain free for him. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I don't know what they're going to get out of him. But I think they have enough pieces at forward. I I like Marcus Foligno's game a lot. I think he's a really good addition to that team. Um I think Nino Niederreiter takes a big step forward this year. Obviously, they're really strong down the middle with Charlie Coyle, Miko Koivu, and Marcus Granlin. Michael Granlin, not Marcus Granlin, the other Granlin, the good Granlin. So I I still I think they have enough. They I you know, they were kind of sneaky good offensively last year. I think they were like they were top 10 in the league in goals and I didn't realize that until we were kind of talking about them one day and I looked up. I'm like, I didn't think they were that good offensively, but they were pretty good offensively. They have a lot. They don't have anyone on their team who's you really look at and it's like, like they don't have like a Tyler Sagan or a Jamie Benn on their team, but they have a lot of good scorers and it's kind of a, the same. It, it's like the exact opposite of Dallas where it's like you don't have, they don't have one line where you look at and you're like, yes, we're going to shut these guys down because they have three lines that are kind of like that. So I think that they have a lot of they have a good balance in their lineup.
1: I have Minnesota at three, and but that's not but that's not to disagree with you. I think I think the point totals between one and three are going to be very close this year. I just have them at three just because I look at the facts. I don't I don't trust their depth enough personally. I just I look at their because I don't know what you're going to get at Parisi. I, I feel like his he's a shell of what he used to be when he was healthy anyway, and I look at the. I look at the I look at the depth of that team and I don't trust it. I think they've got some good pieces uh, like uh, uh, Luca Kunin from uh, out of Wisconsin. I think he's gonna he might start the season with them because of Parisi's injury, but I don't trust their depth enough to. And I think that might be the difference between the five or six points that separates one and three. But I can see them at one, and that we've talked about it before. How tight this division is. But I have them at three, just when I put pen to paper at this moment, um, which. Um, to, so then, See, I totally um, buy that. Like, like yeah.
0: Parisi only played sixty nine. I just pulled this page up. He only had played sixty nine games last year, and he still only had forty two points. So, I mean, even if he does play a full year, I he's not the same guy that he was in New Jersey, and that's. Hey, he's gonna be a guy that. Three or four years down the line, he's going to have Minnesota in a really tough spot because he's going to have a humongous cap hit and they're not going to be able to do anything with it because he's not, he's going to be Robodot island, so to speak, because I, mm-hmm. God, it wouldn't surprise me if he retires in three or four years because those type of back injuries are no joke. But no, I see. I, I totally cannot disagree with that because it's, it's one of those things that we have a, I'm pretty sure I've talked about our magic dreidel before on this podcast, mm-hmm. yeah. where we yeah. just how we make big decisions. I feel mm-hmm. like you could put any of these four of these top six teams on one side of that dreidel and spin it and pick your division winner that way. So it's 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 one of those things that I no, I don't, I can't disagree with it.
1: I have uh, I have Nashville at one. That's why I have at one. I think I have Nashville too. Okay, I I have Nashville at one, and I have them at one because I look at now. I'm immediately going to talk against myself. I also, and we've talked about how we we've disparaged Pekka Rene's reputation before on the past and, and on this podcast. But um, he's the one thing I look at that I think maybe holding them back from would stop them from being number one. I really like. Um, I know they lost James Neal, but I don't think that's as big of a loss as people are going to put. I thought I think. Adding uh, adding Benino for Mike Fisher, uh, replacing Mike Fisher with Nick Benino actually with, with Nick Benino, I actually think makes them better. And when you have a defense where PK Subban is really even maybe your fifth or your fourth or fifth best defender, that's the best defense in the league. So that I just and I think that makes Pecker and I think Pecker Rene is good enough to play in that system, and, and that's why I, I have them at one.
0: Yeah, if you put Devin Dubnik on Nashville, they run away with this division in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I I think that. Offensively, I'm interested to see what they do without Neil this year because I he's... Who, is, who the hell was their right winger on? It was Arvidsson, Johansson, and who else played on that top line last year? I don't remember. Was it Neil? I don't think uh, it was.
1: Uh, I think so. Let's look it up. Hold on. I'll race you. Let's see. In game four of the... Uh, it was Forsberg. So the lines for that's ne- right. It was Forsberg, Forsberg, Forsberg Sissons, uh, Forsberg, Sissons, and, A- and Aberg, and then Arvidson, Fisher, and Neil.
0: Oh, well see, they kind of split that up yeah, after yeah. Johansson got. Yeah, hurt. that's true. By the way, I learned what compartment syndrome was this summer in anatomy. That does not sound fun.
1: Oh no, it does not. I, yeah, I remember looking Basically, that. up when he got
0: it. So any, and I'm going to explain this to people because I feel like it, doesn't like if you and if you never like taken a gross anatomy class where you actually dissected a human body it doesn't make any sense there's our muscles are like surrounded in a layer of fascia which you would never really see in anatomy books like i had no idea what this was so basically you like cut through the skin and it's not just like your muscles right there there's like a layer of like really the only way i can think to describe it is like really thick spider webs hmm. and it like holds all your crap into that compartment. And basically what that is, what, what compartment syndrome is, is you get hit right on a source of blood supply. So whether it's a vein or an artery, something within that layer of fascia and it ruptures and it causes a bleed within there. And it causes so much pressure in that kick because there's not a lot of room, a lot of free room in there for it to go. And it causes an intense amount of pressure in that area, which pushes your muscles against this layer of fascia and it can cause serious tissue damage if it's not. Ooh. Basically what they have to do then is they have to basically go out and they have to cut your leg open and drain your your leg of all this blood that's Ugh. seeping into your compartment.
1: That doesn't sound fun at all.
0: No, it sounds horrifyingly painful. I think it mostly happens in like your calf, but I obviously with uh with Johansson it was in his thigh and I think Bill Garrett I think the same thing happened to Bill Garrett, um, in like 2003 or 2004, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, because I remember th- hearing something like he had a bad internal bleed. And I was like, Oh, that doesn't sound good at all. Um, but yeah, so back to the point at hand, I think, I mean, losing James Neal is a loss. It's not a humongous loss. Uh, Mike Fisher was good last year, but with Nick Benino, I think he's a guy who can obviously slide in onto a second line center role and be good. I everything that I have seen, it sounds like Johansson's good to go. Um, I, and they have a lot of really good young players that are gonna, that, you know, they traded Colin Wilson too, so that's another opportunity for someone else. Like Aberg mm-hmm. really acquitted himself well last year. I feel like Cali Yarncroft's kind of just been on the cusp for a long time. I feel like he's a guy who can kind of take a step forward this year. And David, if they're gonna miss, yeah.
1: And David Poyle did a great job this summer with all those contracts. That was incredible. That was really well done by Nashville's management group this summer with all those contracts. Yes,
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If, if Victor Arvidson continues, like, even if he doesn't improve up his point total for, from this past season, if he's a 60-point guy for the duration of that contract he signed, absolute steal. Um, I, I'm sure they'll want Ryan Johansson to be a little bit better than a 60-point guy going forward, but I think he has the capability to do that. Uh, so I'm interested to see if he's able to kind of take that next step forward and I have no playing if he's playing every night with Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvitz, and I have no reason to doubt that I do, talking about best first lines in the league that's
1: mm-hmm.
0: on the short list for guys right there for lines like that right there um I they're going to miss Ryan Ellis a lot early um but assuming he comes back healthy I mean that's a really strong mid-season acquisition so I I truly think the only thing holding these guys back from being a, pot- a potential president's trophy team is Pekarene. Really,
1: mm-hmm. I agree. It's. I think he's a guy who we've talked about before. I think he's living off a reputation from three or four years ago, and is uh, is not what we saw. I think we saw in the Stanley Cup final how he could actually be their downfall. Um, which I guess doing the math which if, if you haven't figured it out already that, that assumes i mean that means ryan you have dallas third right correct and i have dallas second and i can see both of those playing out um i think uh well, we've talked to, we've talked a ton about the stars already this is a stars podcast but um for you why is it when you put them at third is it because of them or the other teams around them what uh, what what why do you have them at third
0: I think it's a combination of both. I'm not quite ready to step in and say that, yeah, this team is going to return to the form that it had two years ago, because I just don't know. I think that they have all the pieces in place to, and I feel like it's one of those things that I can kind of see both sides of this coin. I feel like there are people out there who have maligned Dallas and said, well, you know, they're so bad defensively and, you know, they brought in a goalie who's now 30 years old, who was hurt last year and he's not going to be that good and blah, blah, blah. And it's like people forget when they're making that argument that this was a team that had 112 points or whatever it was when their defense was still pretty subpar. So I think that, I think that this defense has all the tools in place to be merely average, which if they're able to return to the offensive, and even 75% of the offensive level that they had two years ago, that's still a pretty freaking good team. I, it's just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, this is me having Dallas third is, it, it's kind of my conservative, more conservative prediction for this team. Cause if I was going truly conservative, I would say fourth or fifth in a wild card spot. But I think that this is a good, a good happy medium is to kind of expect Dallas to finish third in the division.
1: Yeah. I, uh, well, because, I mean, to your point, I mean, basically, they outscored their problems to a division title two years ago, and they can... So, I have them second. I look at it that way, where it's just, I think, based off what they have and what everyone else and and kind of the rest of the division, I, I, I feel confident. I don't... I feel confident seeing them in that range. They could finish third. They could win the division. They could even be the wildcard team, but... I mean, it seems like the overlying theme here is after Colorado, you can make a case for any team to win this division, and it's kind of crazy. Which should make it more fun to watch over the course of the season. Um, do we have any uh, any last questions we wanted to squeeze in before the uh, before we uh, before we go?
0: I'm kind of reading through them right now, and I think we touched on just about everything. Okay. Um, there's a question about what happened to Demers in Florida. And I really haven't really been paying close enough attention to that situation to know other than knowing that Florida is a dumpster fire. And it seems like what the administration in Florida is doing now is trying to undo everything they did last summer for some dumb ass reason. I don't know why. Um, question about maintenance with Ben. Is he already hurt, or are they just taking steps because of constant injuries and surgeries, or is he out of shape? I don't know if you want to touch on that one real
1: quick when uh, kind of uh, these. Yeah, well, the uh, on the Ben maintenance thing, they say he's healthy. I mean, they say everyone is. Uh, they they say he's healthy. Jamie Ben says he's healthy. Everyone says he's healthy. Um, I, it's one of those things where, just the the way Hitch. Way Hitch phrased it, where he's talking about fitness. It just sounds like, I mean, when people use fitness level, they talk about. I often think about people uh, talking in soccer, where they talk about a guy's fitness level and whether he can play a full ninety minutes and stuff like that. Basically, I mean, the way I kind of read into it was Jamie Ben wasn't in good enough shape that Hitch wanted him to be the in in good enough shape to be the one hundred percent that Hitch wanted. Now that's just me trying to read between the lines because we didn't get an exact confirmation on anything, but that's just kind of how I how I read into that quote. I don't want anyone to. I don't know for. Uh, I don't know if it's something that can. If there's anything more to read into, and if and if there is, I mean, Jamie Ben did have a healthy summer. He didn't have an didn't have to come off surgery for the first time in three seasons. So, I think it might be a bit of a precaution. Bit of a combination of both precautionary and just getting Ben up to a level that uh, that the coaching staff desires.
0: Cool. So. Uh, everything else, it looks like we touched on. Unless you want to talk about the meaning of life in the universe. I
1: think this. I, I think this to. podcast is the meaning of life in the universe. And with that, with that, uh, we will uh, let everyone go. We actually have uh, the next podcast. Will that be? recorded after games have actually been played. And uh, maybe we'll uh, have more answers on the, uh, on the Julius, Honka, Julius Honka saga and experiment there. So, everyone, thank you for listening, and we'll talk again next week.